One thing that I have uh, realized uh, is God never calls you, nor does he send you, nor does he open the door for you to be able to pursue something, and then in the midst of that, he withdraws his direction or his covering or his plan for your life. And we know that that is extremely important to all of us. Your life as an individual is on a journey toward heaven. Your family is on a journey uh, toward heaven, and that's God's goal for all of us. But we are not uh, freeloading. God has called each of us to step to the plate, to meet tasks head on, and to be able to accomplish something for the Lord. And in the meantime, we get to grow through it. I want to do something just a little different than what I usually do. I want to bring your attention. There there is a Bible in the pew back in front of you, or if you have your uh, Bible on your iPad or your iPhone, uh, et cetera, or if you happen to have the 14th chapter of Exodus uh, memorized, you can just do that. So check check that Bible, because I'm going to show you a couple of scriptures in, in, uh, here's what I found out, that often when you have been hit with a major challenge, let's say a physical challenge, let's say a financial challenge, you name it, that often once you uh, uh, feel the shock of the news or you have had an opportunity to meet the challenge and say, this is what my challenge is, often you go to immediate prayer and uh, you pray and in the process of time, things get a little better. And And in the process of time, as things get better and you begin to rejoice, boy, things are better now. And uh, looks like we've got, we've got an edge here. Here's what I've noticed, that before long, it seems to turn the other direction. It's like, wow, we got a great report and the cancer is subsiding and it's uh, dying and boy, we're just doing great and wait. Wait a month later, six weeks later, and boy, here's the report. Well, it's back. Here it comes again, and uh, what are we going to do now? And there's that, that, that up and down, that seesaw motion that takes place. I think what God's looking for out of us is to uh, encourage us not to put our faith in a report, that our stamina and our call and our belief system and our faith is not dependent on what report I have in my hand. I think we've all lived long enough to know that the report will change from time to time. Everybody with me out there? It'll change. Here's one thing I do know, that when you become redeemed, you get saved, you get right with God, God gives you an eternal ticket. And that ticket is entrance in to the gates of pearl and into heaven. Amen? So I say, God, here's what I know. Between right now and when I get to use this ticket, I don't know what life is going to offer me, but here's what I do know. I have a sure understanding that this faith that I have in you and your redemption will see me through until the day I see you face to face. Now, if you look at the 14th chapter, and I'm just going to highlight it, uh, 
for, for just a moment to kind of show you in the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus here. And if you were to take a look there about, uh, let's see, verse number, verse number four. And if you see verse number four, uh, it says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. This is where uh, Moses is getting ready to, uh, to ask, and the people of God, the Israelites are going to get released, and uh, he will pursue them. But here it is. He will pursue them, but here's what God says. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh. In other words, what he's saying, I will gain glory through this enemy that is an antichrist figure. I'll gain glory some way or another through the cancer, through the financial reverse, through the marital breakup, through the emotional disorder. You could not have a symbol that was more akin to the image of the enemy than Pharaoh. But I'll gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So he says in that one little area, I'm going to get glory out of it, and don't you forget it. And not only am I going to get glory, but the enemy, those that doubt, are going to know that I am God. Okay, so you know that we moved down a few verses, and Pharaoh, of course, has told Moses and the gang, all right, you can get out. But then notice what happens to them in about verse number, let's see, verse number five, halfway down. It says, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Wow. What in the world did we do that we let the individuals that were doing slave work, we let them go and, and we should have never let them go because they served us. Wow, that's selfish, isn't it? So moving on down, you have another perspective. This is the perspective. You have the one that God says, Pharaoh, I'll get glory. You have, the, you have Pharaoh and the Egyptians said, what in the world have we done? But now listen to the saints down about uh, verse number, let's see, 11. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt, verse 12, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now let me ask you a question. What are they forgetting? What are they forgetting? They are forgetting that God said to them, through this situation, I'm going to get glory and your enemies are going to believe. Now let me ask you a question. How do you ever expect God to do anything when you have a bunch of whippering saints like this right here that seem to at will forget the promise of God? Why, we'd just be better off never to have prayed. We'd have been better off never tithing. We'd been better off never going to church. We'd have been better off if we hadn't raised the kids in the church. On and on and on and on and on. Well, guess what? That was what they said. Now the man of God says, Moses answered the people, 
Don't be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. Here's what you need to do. I'm going to add a little bit. Shut up and be still. Now, shut up is not in there, but be still is. How many think it might be appropriate for him to have said it? Just be quiet. So here you have, you have God said, I'm going to get glory. You have Pharaoh saying, what in the world have we done? You, of course, have the people saying, we'd have been better off to stay where we were. And then you have the man of God saying, hey, why don't you just understand your job is not to read the results of the x-ray. Your job is not to get on the internet and Google everything under the sun on what it is that you have because you'll be one more confused puppy. Is you just stand still and continue to believe what God said to begin with. Is that a pretty good lesson? Believe what God said to begin with. Just understand that. Then he moves on and he says, this is the Lord speaking again. Verse 17, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army through his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. I want you to notice something carefully. God is saying here, when I harden their hearts, I will make them do what I want them to do, and they won't even know they're doing it under my instruction. Do you believe, as I do, that God has control of the power and the lies and the whims of the enemy of your soul? Surely you do not believe that the devil has carte blanche over God's children. Surely you don't believe that the enemy has written the end of the story, do you? It's all God. God says, understand that. I'm not done. One more little bit here. Here's what else he did. Now, you'll notice that in the chariots, it says that he had 600 of his best chariots, his strongest chariots, 600 of his best chariots. Now, I don't know whether that would be a four-wheel drive Silverado. I don't know whether that would be a four-wheel drive Ram Tough truck. I don't know whether that would be an F-350 crew cab four-wheel drive. I don't know whether it's a John Deere tractor or a bulldozer. They just say he has 600 of his best chariots. And then if you study carefully, and he said, and all the other chariots came along too. What did God do? Now, there's a reason he says, I got premium chariots. And here's what the Lord did. And the Lord made the wheels fall off their chariots. Are you listening? And the Lord said, chariots? Big chariots? And it says that the Lord made the wheels fall off the chariot, and they had a tough 
time driving? Well, I reckon so. What I'm trying to give you a picture of in this story that sometimes we may just pass over and see the big thought, that there is a unique little process that God uses. And then finally, and when the Israelites, this is after the drowning exercise, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people here now, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Why did he use the term fear? The term fear there in verse 31 is revere and reverence. Why did he use that? Because up here, back there that we read a few minutes ago in verse 12, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone and let us serve Egyptians? It would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. That's irreverence. That's standing in the face of God's servant and God saying, you messed up. This journey you've taken us on is a journey that we should not be on. You miscalculated now, in your mind's eye, in the challenge that maybe you have faced in your life, and some of you have faced big, 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 big old challenge. You know, how, you know the largest challenge you've ever faced is the one you're facing right now. That's it. And you look at it, and you see the up and the down, and you see human nature, and you see God's Word, and you hear the preaching of the Word through Moses, and we know all of that. And God says... Why, why is it not possible that through the journey you don't have to do the seesaw? Is it possible that you can just determine if God allowed this journey in your life, don't you believe that he is able to eventually show you the victory and make you a better person? Everybody with me? Is that possible? I heard a testimony. I don't see her in the service. Testimony of a mother whose uh, son, I think, was raising money to go on one of the missions trips. And they had uh, a little, uh, what, it was a garage sale or something. And, and they raised um, X amount of dollars, like 600 plus bucks. Had it in the bag. She counted it. Her son counted it. And uh, somewhere when they brought it into the office and brought it to the office to turn it in to be counted, uh, the counters there said uh, they counted and it was about 100 or $200 more than what she and her son had counted. She says, now, Pastor, you, you know me. I know how to count. And my son even counted it. And I know how much was in that bag. But when they told me at the church how much it was, she said, I asked them again, recount it. And she said, the reality is when I had an opportunity to count it, sure enough, it was that much more than what we initially counted. 
And I said, ah, just $100 bills stuck together. You guys didn't really count it right. And I said, you know, maybe it was dark when you counted it. You know. You know what she was saying? That's not what I said, by the way. She said, you will never convince me because I saw it with my own eyes and I counted it with my own hands. But somewhere between, I closed that bag and it opened up and someone began to count. God, through somebody or something, put about $150 or $200 more in that bag. You will never convince me that that wasn't anything but the Lord. You say, well, that's hard to believe. <laughs> Not if you have a God who can take the wheels off the best chariots you've got. Amen? Not if you serve a God who says, hey, you see... Not if you serve a God who says, I, I have everything under control, but what I need you to do is to remember what I said to you, to trust me. Now, God planned Moses' birth. He was a special guy. I want to move on through the notes because we want to get to prayer. But I'm, I hope I've stirred enough of your, your thought process that you hook on to something. He, he was rescued as a child. In other words, God had a desire to use Moses and he used him not only for this time of deliverance for God's people, but he rescued him and made a servant that was obedient to God. And now Moses, after all these years, was he perfect? Was Moses perfect? Did Moses fail? Did Moses commit a bad mistake? Hello? Did he? Did Moses kill somebody? Hello? Did Moses run away from God? Then if Moses did all that and he sh still shows up as a champion, how many of you believe he can use you? Amen. Amen. How many believe he can still use you? So here's what Moses does. He's under great opposition. And he's acknowledged his own weakness. And get this, his own family is criticizing him. Friend, you don't know what criticism is unless it's somebody really close to you. There's nothing like family criticism from another family member. How many know what that's like? That's like you know. I got a great family because they can criticize me and I just take it like a man. Hello? His own family criticized him. And Pharaoh's, of course, his uh, resistance to his request. Finally, we know that, that through the process of God's intervention, uh, Pharaoh said, hey, I, I, think I've, uh, I, I think I've had enough. So I'm going to let the people go. You can tell I'm paraphrasing. And in Exodus 14, verse number 3, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around in the land of confusion, hemmed in by the desert, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. So what is the purpose of this event? So that I may gain glory. through the number one enemy of God's people. I'll gain glory this way. When they left Egypt, that place seemingly of security, God gave them a little sign. 
a little sign, a pillar, cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. I'd say that's a pretty good sign. And when you're in a challenge and when you're going uphill, God will give you little signs, little nudges here and there to let you know that is with you. Why, if we're going to face an enemy, let's face a qualifiable enemy. Pharaoh was a qualifiable enemy. He was evil, disobedient, blasphemous. He was the symbol of the Antichrist. And Moses was instructed, go to him and just tell him what I tell you to tell him. There you have it. So he says, all right, let's go. Was it by choice to begin with? You know the story. So they left and they turned north along the sea. Why? There had to be some saying, hey, this is the wrong way. You say, that's not too hard to believe because sometimes your own spouse in your own car will tell you it's the wrong way. Sometimes Siri on your own GPS will tell you you're going the wrong way. I'm, I'm, I, I, I punched it in the other day, headed down to Miami, and it started telling me to go one way, and I was going the other because I knew that way. Sharon said, how come you're not listening? I said, because I'm smarter than that Siri there. I live here. She doesn't. Go north. He'll think you're confused. Wow. You see, God gave the directive. It's important to understand now that Moses stood his ground and they went in a direction up north. And the people followed. Thank God they followed. Number two, you have to declare the victory. So here we go. Moses answered, the people, don't be afraid, stand firm. You'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you're never going to see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be what? Still. Just pipe down and be still. In the pursuit of any promise, there'll be many valleys that you'll experience. And there'll be mountaintops. We talked about that. And if you just take the report and say, my spiritual life and my emotion and my faith is based on this report, we got a great report. Hallelujah. Three weeks later, you get a bad report. Oh God, what have you done? You set me up for failure. God said, listen, learn not to pay attention to the report. Pay attention to the promise. Pay attention to the promise. If you truly believe, God says, I'm going to use you in life for my honor and for my glory. Pharaoh said, you need to just be quiet as they started complaining. God would not let them down, and they had forgotten about that. But stand sometimes and just claim that promise. Every journey during the crisis and times of challenge, someone has to take charge. You have to declare your faith, declare the plan that God has, redefine the promise, and declare an unshakable will. I know, God, we're going to go through. <clears throat> I've shared this testimony. It's been a while. Some of you have not. When we left uh, down in Mulberry and came to the headquarters here in the uh, district office uh, to serve there and serve seven and a half years or so. We, had, we, we uh, 
sold our home and um, said, God, we, we've got to have a house. Or, or I'm sorry, we lived in a parsonage, so we didn't have a home. We lived in a parsonage, so in a parsonage, you don't get any equity, you don't get any money. You just see you, Lucille. And that was it. We saved up a little bit of money. So after about three days or three months of being in the district office, I, I told Sharon, said, after devotions this morning in the district office, you meet me there, we're going to go, and we will find a house today. I got the paper down. I circled several things that I thought that might work. I thought, God, we don't have, we don't have any money, any money for down payment, maybe 1500 bucks. That's not a lot of money. I'm sure that some of you realtors here said, wait a minute, Pastor, I can get you in for 1500 if that's all you got. I'll make you a deal. Here we go. Well, we're out. We were out looking around. We looked at one and just drove by. Sharon said, nope. I said, we didn't even go in. Nope. Hey, you learned to listen. I'm looking at another place, and she said, as I'm trying to find it, she said, you're lost, aren't you? This is before Siri. This was before GPS. And like any good man, you are never lost until you give up. And I wasn't even close to giving up. I saw a realtor's office, <coughs> pulled over. She said, why are you going in there? I'm going to get a map of this area. I went in, and it's a person who was a realtor who knew me. What are you doing, Pastor Blackburn? I said, I'm out. I'm going to find a house today. In devotions that morning, I stood there, and I said, I need you all to pray. Because today, before the day ends, we will have a house and we will buy it. Walked in that office. What are you looking for? I said, I'm looking for this house here. She said, you don't need that house. I got your house. Well, okay. She said, follow me. Sharon said, where are we going? We went to a new development down on 540, 540, 542. Pulled in the cul-de-sac in the back, brand new home. Was a builder's home, had been there eight months. Walked in the door, Sharon says, wow. This is absolutely beautiful. I said, um, <clears throat> um, <laughs> come over here, away from Sharon. How, how, how much? She said, as she gave the price, you have any money down? I said, how much? She said, oh, the builder. He'll work with you, pastor. You don't have to have anything down if you don't want to. He's ready to sell. It's a great neighborhood. He needs to get rid of the house. I thought, oh, I'm in the business of getting houses somebody needs to get rid of. <laughs> and that day, we signed the contract. 
I remember making the statement in devotions, today we will find a house. You ever said something like that and then slapped yourself later? Thinking, my Lord, how mercy. I actually said that. But you know what? Isn't there a time in our lives that in some circumstances we just have to flat-footedly say, I ain't taking this no more. Isn't there those times, God, you're going to show up today. I'm not waiting until tomorrow. Today is the day that it's going to happen. And you can say that out of a heart of confidence because God loves you. What's Moses say? Declare your faith again to God. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. He says, stop your crying and move on down the road. And then finally, he says, the results will astound you. I'm just paraphrasing, give you the high marks because I want us to get into prayer. Exodus 14, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now I want you to notice something carefully. Moses had been developing in his acts of faith. This was not the first act of faith for Moses. God gave him first a rod God let him see what that rod could do. Then he let him see how the Nile turned to blood and frogs appeared and gnats like sand appeared and flies swarmed everywhere and locusts attacked and darkness fell for three days. And then the big one, every firstborn of the Egyptian household died. But may I bring to your attention that not one, not one Israelite through all of that, was adversely affected. Which means he's still the God who can protect you in the fiery furnace. And so, what are we going to do? If you carefully study that scripture, it said that the people looked up and saw Pharaoh coming. So I thought, I wonder what that means. So I pulled out a trusted piece of advice from Google. And here's what it said on one of the sites. You can see between 30 and 50 miles if you're on a mountain and it is dark and someone 30 to 50 miles away has a candle held up, and it is the only light in the darkened skies, 30 to 50 miles away, you can see that light. On a flat surface with no topo, massive differences in topo, you can see with a naked eye 20 miles so when I read, how did they see that? I, I said, I've had interest. They looked up and they saw, they saw Pharaoh coming. Now, they're back there and the Bible says that God moved the pillar of fire and the cloud, moved the pillar of cloud from front to the back. And it separated 
the Egyptians from the Israelites. In other words, it was light on the side of the Israelites, and it was deathly dark on the side of the Egyptians. And Moses said, or God said to Moses, go over there, take your rod, put it out there. Moses said, baby, this rod right here has done a lot of great things. You know, I've seen it do some astronomical things. So one more time, God, just like you said, here you go. The water's walled up. It says the wind blew to the degree that all the Israelites went across. Pharaoh's army could not, could not chase them because they couldn't see. And when they started to chase them, the wheels came off the bad boy chariots. Enough that they're on the other side. You know the story. Pharaoh, his army is frothing at the mouth. There they are. And the water covered them till every last one of them died. One day, you and I are going to see the enemy. cast into the lake of fire once and for all. You're going to see it. God's not going to hide that from you. That's revelation. You're going to see it once and for all. You're going to see the enemy that gave you trouble, that gave you heartburn, that gave you heartache. You're going to see him cast into that lake of fire and be there forever and ever and ever. And you're going to look this way and say, that lake of fire, there's where the enemy's at. And you're going to be able to turn and look at God and see Jesus. And you're going to say, how could I ever have doubted you at any time during my life? Because every time I thought I was about to lose you, intervened ain't god good yeah. amen put your hands together and let's just give him a hand clap. amen would you stand father god the god of all the universe and beyond we praise you and we thank you in our story tonight we have a few points that we can latch on to god we know that you have rescued us and made a way so many times where there is no way and tonight, we just need your help. I know there may be some here listening or watching online, God, who really need to make a dedication and who are ashamed of their unbelief. They're ashamed of their hard-headedness and their stubbornness. They're ashamed that they haven't listened better. They haven't walked more faithfully in your plan and in your will. So, Father, tonight we ask you for forgiveness. So just in case, I'm going to ask everybody to repeat this prayer after me. Would you do this? Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly Father I, have sinned. I have sinned. I have doubted you. I, doubted you. I have misbehaved. I have, misbehaved. I have been unkind. I have let habits in my life destroy me. I have not prayed for any kind of deliverance. But tonight, I lay myself on the altar. I ask you for forgiveness. Take my life, take my hand, 
and bring love into my heart and use me for your honor and glory. Let me lay in your hands my situation and trust you to bring to pass a resolve that will bring you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I believe God answered prayer. I'd like to take the next 10 minutes, if you don't mind. And these cards are here. These cards are here where the enemy has bamboozled people, where he's done everything that he could to discourage them. But you're going to get to be the Moses. You have in your hand the rod of prayer, the one that's able to pray and able to tell the enemy as you take a stand in behalf of some of these cards and say, I declare by faith this need is going to be met. So I'm going to ask you to come, and we'll end in about 10 minutes, 12 minutes, and let you go home. If you have to leave now and slip out, you're most welcome to. Otherwise, I'd like everybody to get a card or two or three or four or five or six, however many you desire, and let's just find a place to pray. Would you do that?